Good morning. As you continue to make your way to your seats this morning, um, I just want to stop and say that it's great to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. It's so great to see you all and to have you here. For those of you that are joining us online, we are so grateful that you are here. You are with us, worshiping with us this morning. Let us know that you are worshiping with us online so that we have a chance to connect with you. Um, If this is your first time joining us online, there is a digital connect card uh, that you should be able to find somewhere on the stream right there next to you. So uh, if you want to look for that, we'd love to learn more about you and uh, have that chance to connect with you. Well, this morning, I want to turn your attention to Psalm 28 as we prepare our hearts for worship this morning. I want to encourage you and challenge you to uh, focus your heart on the Lord, uh, prepare room for him this morning. Psalm 28 verses 6 and 7 says this, Praise be to the Lord, for he has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. My heart trusts in him, and he helps me. My heart leaps for joy, and with my song, I praise him. Has the Lord helped you this week? He's helped me. He's helped me this week, and my heart does leap for joy every time he shows up and and provides for me and helps me. And so I just want to encourage you this morning Just worship the Lord. Let us not hold back. Let us worship fully with all that is in our hearts. Let us cry out to him. Let us praise him and let us open up room and space for him to move in our midst this morning. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into this place this morning. We open up our arms, we open up our hearts, and we long for more of you. Holy Spirit, may we never uh, remain stagnant. May we always recognize that you are continually moving in our midst. And we confess this morning, we need more of you. We are are, uh, in a place where we desperately want to see you move in a new and fresh way. Holy Spirit, would you meet us here? Help us to recognize you in our midst and what you are doing all around us. We welcome you here this morning. God, we love you. We praise your holy, worthy, beautiful name today. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Amen. Would you continue in the attitude of worship as we pray this morning? God, we declare once again just how wonderful you are and how very present in our lives and in our midst you are. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness and your kindness and your love and your mercy that meets us right where we are. God, we all come from different places this morning. We come from different situations, and we come from different weeks as we've all gone through different things this week, Lord, and yet you are ready and willing to meet us right where we are with exactly what we need. God, we thank you for the ways in which you intimately know us, and we thank you, Lord, that you 
knowing all of the ugly sides and the ugly parts of us, you desire to continue to pursue a deeply restored relationship with us. Lord, my prayer this morning as we sing these songs is that we would all be able to say that you are the king of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Jesus, there is so much that is fighting for a place in our heart, for the place in our heart. And we just declare that that space is reserved only for you. And we recognize that by declaring you king of our heart and king of our life, we give every moment to you. We give every day to you. We dedicate each and every part of our life to you. By declaring you the king of our heart, we are declaring that there is no room for anything or anyone else. And declaring you the king of our heart does remind us of your great and powerful and mighty name. But what I also love is the reminder that we sang in the last part of that song, king of my heart, when the night is holding on to me, you are holding on. It's such a beautiful reminder to me, Lord, that we can go through the darkest moments, some of the worst moments in our life where we feel completely alone, we feel in the dark, we feel afraid, we feel unseen and unheard. But even when that that darkness might be holding on to us, you, the King of Kings, who has no rival, no equal, You are holding on. And there is so much promise and hope in that for us. May we see that promise and that hope this morning. God, I just pray that as we open up your word, your holy scriptures, that is useful for all that we need to know, I pray, God, that you would speak to your people, that this would be a word set apart for us today anointed by you. Lord, teach us. Speak to us. Guide us. We are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, this morning we are going to continue in our Lenten series, Sacred Invitation. And this morning, the sacred invitation that that is offered to you and I is the sacred invitation of abundance or to abundance. And so we are in the fourth Sunday of Lent. And uh, just to remind you, the season of Lent uh, serves as many things for us, but one thing that we are reminded of during the season of Lent is that this is a time for us to draw away and into the wilderness. We are given this peculiar invitation to seclude ourselves to the wilderness, to focus on God, focus more on what God wants to reveal to us, what God wants to do in our lives. 
We are journeying toward the cross with Jesus through scripture during this Lenten season. And so as you are thinking of the wilderness, as this sort of imagery of wilderness comes to mind, we are reminded of Jesus and the time he spent in the wilderness. Jesus spent a time of 40 days in the wilderness where he was fasting and preparing for the ministry that God called him to. And in those 40 days, we read in Matthew chapter 4 that he was tempted by Satan. Why is that important? You might know that we've been journeying through the book of Mark. So why is this information important for us this morning? Well, it's important because in our passage today in Mark chapter 8, we are going to see that for the first time since Jesus was tempted or tested in the wilderness by Satan, he is once again being tempted or tested, this time by the Pharisees. And so I want to invite you to stand for God's reading of Mark chapter 8, the word of God in Mark chapter 8, verses 11 through 21. Mark says, the Pharisees came and they began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, why does this generation ask for a sign? Truly, I tell you, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them. He got back into the boat and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It is because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke up seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? This is the word of the Lord this morning for God's people. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, once again, this language, as I alluded to a moment ago, this language that that Mark uses here, this word tempted or or tested, depending on um, which translation you're reading, it indicates the same kind of testing that we see in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is in the wilderness. And the reason that that's important is because it ought to be quite profound to us that the Pharisees are so intent on pressing Jesus. They are so fixed on just pressing him until there's nothing left that it would remind us of that kind of testing or tempting where where Satan was testing Jesus. If you really are the son of God, then turn that stone into bread. If you really are the son of God, 
do this, do that, show that you are the son of God. And so that's what's happening here. The Pharisees are pressing Jesus. And as we read, Jesus has some pretty harsh words in response, in addition to the response of just getting up and leaving, as we see. There are kind of two stories, at least that's how I pictured it in my mind. There's kind of two moments here that we see in this text, and so I kind of want to address this one, and then we'll move on to Jesus and the disciples after they leave. But Jesus uh, is, is, he responds pretty harshly to the Pharisees, and what that reminded me of is that you know, knowing Jesus and knowing everything we know about Jesus, he had to have had divine insight, and we know he did. He had divine insight to see into the heart of the Pharisees that it didn't matter what he did. They were not willing to see. They were not willing to understand. They were not willing to see Jesus for who he was and what God was trying to do through him. Their hearts were hardened, and they were not willing to change. And Jesus makes it clear that he will not perform. He will not bow down, in a sense. He won't perform for someone, especially whose hearts are already hardened, and it doesn't matter. Nothing's going to change the outcome. I think Jesus knew that, and I don't think it mattered. That's my personal opinion. I don't think it mattered what Jesus did. I don't think it would have mattered what kind of sign that he would give them. They would still choose not to see, not to understand. And I think Jesus, knowing this, he responds the way he does and then ends up leaving. And he asks this question. Don't you just love how Mark sets that picture up and, and Jesus sighs like he has just had it. He's frustrated. He's exasperated. And that's such a relatable moment. He just sighs like, oh, I'm exhausted with you people. You really need another sign? You really need something else? And this reminds me of another wilderness moment as we're talking about the wilderness kind of briefly today. It reminds me of another frustrating wilderness moment where a particular generation is wandering through the wilderness and we see this kind of frustrating behavior. And I want to take you back to that because I think there are connections. I want to take you back to Exodus 17 verses 1 through 7. We read this, the whole Israelite community set out from the desert of sin, traveling from place to place as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. So they quarreled with Moses and they said, give us water to drink. Moses replied, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you put the Lord to the test? But the people were thirsty for water there, and they grumbled against Moses. They said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to make us and our children and our livestock die of thirst? So dramatic. Then Moses cried out to the Lord. Again, relatable. What am I to do with these people? Take with you some of the elders the Lord answered Moses, go out in front of the people, take with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb, strike the rock and water will come out of it for the people to drink. 
So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel, and he called the place Massa and Meribah because the Israelites quarreled and because they tested the Lord, saying, is the Lord among us or not? Is the Lord among us or not? It is shocking to me that they had to ask this question. After all that God had done for them, after all that God had done for the Israelites, they have the audacity to ask this question, is the Lord among us or not? After hearing their cry and delivering them, after hearing their cry to be delivered from their oppressors and God responding to them and miraculously coming in to rescue them, to deliver them. He miraculously parted the waters for them and led them to dry land and then provided manna and water over and over and over again. He led them by fire in the darkness Literally, a cloud of fire, a pillar of fire appeared to guide them. He, he was journeying with them and, and worked in and through Moses time and time again. And yet they ask, is the Lord among us or not? Are you from God or not? Are you Jesus, the Son of God, or not? I find a connection here that the Pharisees are acting like their ancestors. They're demanding more when God has already shown up time and time again, and Jesus has already revealed himself to them time and time again. And he's frustrated. What more do you need? And so he leaves. They don't want to see. They don't want to know. They don't want to accept Jesus leaves. So let's transition now into the boat. We're in the boat with the disciples and Jesus, and this is an odd conversation, isn't it? Does it strike you as odd? Because it really strikes me as odd. They're, they're in the boat, and it's as if Jesus is still kind of fixed back on the previous conversation. Like he's kind of playing it in his mind, and he's trying to, to teach the disciples something, and it's like they've all of a sudden recognized Oh no, there are, are 12 of us, a dozen of us, grown men, and one loaf of bread. What are we going to do? Hold the phone. Pause everything. We don't have enough food. And it's this interesting moment where, where Jesus is still trying to teach them, I think. He's trying to help them learn something from what just happened with the Pharisees. And they interpret what Jesus says, this peculiar warning. They interpret that as, as some sort of chastising because they only had one loaf of bread. And I just found this moment so relatable because it reminds me how people get when they're hangry. Have you ever been hangry? Do you know what hangry is? <laughs> I don't really have time to explain it in depth. So if you don't know what hangry is, find me afterwards and I'll, I'll tell you what hangry is. But if you have ever been hangry or, or you know someone who gets hangry, and if you don't, then you might be the hangry person. But when you're, when you're just so starved, so hungry, everything gets so dramatic and you turn into like, you morph into this different person, almost like this different being when you're so hangry. And I thought, maybe this is a hangry moment. 
where they're, they're hungry and they look at this teeny tiny loaf of bread and the 12 of them and they're just thinking, oh man, we messed it up. We didn't bring enough bread and now Jesus is angry at us. He's mad at us because we didn't bring enough bread. And yet, in Jesus' response, and by the way, in Matthew chapter 8 or Mark chapter 8, if you go back to the beginning, you will recognize that this happens moments after the feeding of the 4,000 that Jesus talks about later in the text. They are, are on the heels of this miraculous feeding that was after the feeding of the 5,000. So, so they've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a few loaves and a few fish, and now they've seen him do it again to feed over 4,000 people with, as Jesus says, these seven loaves. And here they are looking at this one loaf, feeling their hunger pangs and saying, oh no, what are we going to do? We don't have enough bread. And they panic. Could they really have forgotten so quickly? I'm curious. Do you think they really forgot that quickly? What is happening here? What is happening in this moment? They're operating as if what they just saw with the feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, they're operating as if that were a fluke thing, as if that were a random one-off thing that Jesus did rather than recognizing it as the revelation of the heart of an abundant God who shows up and feeds his people when they are hungry. And here they are panicking. Jesus took seven loaves, fed 4,000 people, and here's a dozen grown men panicking because they have one loaf of bread. I just think that's a little bizarre. They're not necessarily uh, griping or demanding like we see the Pharisees, but I will say that what they do have in common with that moment is they are quickly forgetting they are quickly forgetting, like the Israelites, what God is capable of. And those previous feedings, shouldn't they have brought understanding? Shouldn't those feedings have opened their eyes? Shouldn't that have reminded them and been one of those moments that sticks with you forever that you never, ever forget, and yet here they are moments later? Wouldn't that have been an enlightening moment to the abundant resources of God, that not only would Jesus take these few loaves and feed 4,000 people, but keep in mind, he fed them until they were full. It wasn't like, here's a snack to hold you over. He fed them until they were full, and they went home with leftovers. Right? They went home with leftovers, and yet they're asking for a sign. And yet, they're complaining of hunger. And yet, they're anticipating hunger. They're still hungry for the next big moment. One of the questions I had as I read through this and thought through this is, are they failing to see their daily bread that is standing right before them? Are they failing to see the bread of life who is in the flesh standing there before him, and he never fails to provide abundantly and faithfully. And yet, and yet, friends, how quick you and I are to forget, right? I don't mean to come off as, 
as giving the disciples a hard time because I was reminded of how quickly I am able to forget. How quickly we are able to forget about the abundance of God that is endless despite how many times he has shown up and provided what we need. Even though we've seen him move in our lives in great and powerful ways, we've seen him move in others' lives in great and powerful ways, and yet our memory quickly fails us the very moment we see something happen or the very moment we think we're lacking or the very moment we're afraid we're not going to have enough or the very moment we're going to do without, we too become fearful, a crazy level of fearful like we see here when we're faced with the possibility of scarcity. And instead of looking for the creativity of God and how he still shows up and shows out and the creativity of his own provision, instead we panic, we fear. The myth of scarcity sets in and we quickly forget about the abundance of God. Can I give you an example of this? that happened probably exactly one year ago from this moment. One year ago, the shelves in the store looked like this that you see on the screen. You remember? Do you remember that frightening moment? Did any of you have to go a significant amount of time without toilet paper? But honestly, remember this. And I understand, I, I, I do understand that there was more at play here than just simply hoarding. I get that. There were a lot of factors that went into these empty shelves. But it no doubt, based on things I saw on Facebook and conversations I had with people, that after the joking that were more serious, it revealed something very true about us. We are terrified of not having enough. We're terrified, whether that's enough paper towels, Clorox wipes. I love my Clorox wipes. I'm a little terrified when those get low and when I have no, no, no more in sight. We're, we are terrified of running out of toilet paper, apparently. That was the big one. We're terrified at the thought of not having enough canned goods. We're terrified. That was a prime, that's just one example, but it was a timely prime example of just how afraid we are of not having enough. And what was so frustrating to me was that everywhere, not everywhere I looked, but I would look around and, and I would see a lot of hoarding and a lot of, you know, just griping and complaining. I saw more of that than I saw people quickly thinking of ways that they could share what they had or participate in the abundance of God by giving to those that we're doing without. We were more fixated on what we didn't have than we were in participating in the sharing of what God was perhaps trying to provide during that time. And perhaps this is what Jesus was warning the disciples about in the boat. When he goes back to that conversation with the Pharisees, this is where it all comes together. And I wonder if Jesus, keeping this in mind that the disciples are so quick to forget and they're so quick to freak out in a moment of, in, in a moment of possibly not having enough, I wonder if Jesus was saying to them in his response, don't allow the Pharisees to distract you. Don't allow the Pharisees to take your eyes off of me and what I'm doing and your commitment to being a part of it. Don't harden your hearts like the Pharisees. 
Don't let the yeast of the Pharisees get in and, and destroy what I'm trying to do, the goodness of God that is continually renewing, that is continually redeeming and restoring and providing. For he is a God of abundance and he always gives his people what they need. And it just reminds me of my own failure to see and trust where God is providing abundantly in my own life. And these questions that Jesus asked, you know, scholars know that it's very odd to see Jesus ask so many questions back to back the way he did. Did you notice that? So many questions. And yet I find myself in this place where I wonder if sometimes Jesus is asking me these questions. Imagine Jesus asking you these questions at different times in your life. Nicole, why are you so concerned about going without? Do you still not see or understand? Is your heart hardened? Are you failing to see or failing to hear? Nicole, don't you remember what I've done for you time and time again? The good news, friends, is that even if we find ourselves in these moments where we too despair at the thought of not having enough, the good news is that Jesus wasn't finished with the disciples. He knew that their hearts, unlike the heart of the Pharisees, their hearts were open. Their hearts were willing to see. Sure, there was a lot they didn't understand. There was a lot that they didn't know, but they were willing. They were open to what Jesus was doing. They were teachable. They were moldable, and Jesus was faithful and continued to help them. And so the question I have for us is, what about us? What about us? What about you? Are your hearts hardened and incapable of seeing the abundance of God like the Pharisees? Is it easy for us to fall back into the fear of scarcity like the disciples? Do we look at one loaf of bread, immediately feel the hunger pangs, and meanwhile the bread of life is standing in our very midst? Or are we open to seeing the abundance of God that is before us? Are we open to seeing the bread of life who promises that we will never hunger or thirst again when we receive him? I want to share a quote with you as we... As I start to wrap this up, Walter Brueggemann, he kind of ties all of this together and he says, listen to this. He says, when people forget that Jesus is the bread of the world, they start eating junk food, the food of the Pharisees and of Herod, the bread of moralism and of power. Too often the church forgets the true bread and is tempted by junk food. Our faith is not just about spiritual matters. It is about the transformation of the world. The closer we stay to Jesus, the more we will bring a new economy of abundance to the world. I want to remind you today, in one of Jesus' powerful I am declarations, he declared, I am the bread of life. And when we receive him, we are trusting in his abundance and we are trusting and believing that we will not go without, that he will sustain us. 
And far too easily, we are tempted with religious junk food, something that pleases our fleshly appetite quickly and conveniently, all while missing the good stuff, what actually fills us. And so I'm going to invite the worship team to come back up, and we're going to prepare for our response. That moment where we are saying, okay, Lord, here's where I am. Speak to it. Here's my heart, you see. Here's my heart. Mold it and shape it. I want to ask you again, what about us? Are our hearts hardened and incapable of seeing the abundance that is before us? Or are we open to receiving more of Jesus and letting him fill us abundantly for he is the bread of life? Are we feasting on the bread of life, the bread of abundant grace? Or are we allowing the junk, the yeast of fear feed us? Friends, may we learn once again to feast upon the bread of the kingdom of God, for it is abundant. May we clean our lives of the yeast of this world. May we shed our allegiance to fear, the fear of scarcity as we eat of the bread of life. Because I have to ask, who needs more bread when the bread of life is in the boat with you? Will you fix your eyes on the bread of life that fills abundantly? Will you fix your eyes on him this morning? Will you let Jesus fill you? Pray with me. God, we pause in this moment now to hear from your heart. What is it that you need to speak to us this morning? God, my prayer for us is that we would set aside things that are attempting to feed or fill us. These things, this religious junk food or just this junk food of the world, these things promise life for us. And yet life can't be found in them. God, we confess this morning that too easily we forget. We forget the abundance. We forget the wonderful things you've done and in the ways in which you have provided us. And we continue to look for the next big thing, the next grand and glorious way you're going to move and prove yourself to us. All while you are standing in our midst, offering yourself completely to us. And God, we confess that you and you alone are the source. Jesus, you alone are the source. You sustain. You are our faithful provider. Jesus, we declare that you have acted on our behalf in the past and you will be faithful to do so again. Lord, we trust you. We trust you, and may we respond to how you are speaking this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and worship with us this morning.